Welcome to the Rhode Island Liberty Report, your source for libertarian commentary on current events in the Ocean State and Southern New England. Coming to you from Rothbard Studios. Welcome back, and here we are with another episode of the Rhode Island Liberty Report. I'm Mike, and with me, as always, the co-hosts, Bill and Sean. How you guys doing? Good, good. Welcome back, Bill. Doing Welcome great. Back. Happy to be back. Thanks, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me back. It was such a good show last uh, last time. I was uh, just happy to be invited back. So thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we were trying our best because we didn't know if you were going to come back. Oh, right. <laughs> we thought we're going to have to put on a no a, you know, I, Amber I, Alert for Bill. Yeah, <laughs> I was screaming at my uh, my car radio when I was listening to you guys. So uh, I'm happy to be back, and you can actually like hear me uh, put in my two cents. So yeah. But are you really happy to be back? <laughs> <laughs> well, from New Hampshire, no, not not, not particularly. <laughs> It's, uh, it, it was a great vacation. It was um, uh, the first major vacation we had with my new son. Uh, we had the whole family up there. This is a tradition we've been doing since uh, for the last nine years, since my parents' uh, 40th wedding anniversary. So we're going to have to plan for their 50th wedding anniversary coming up next year, which is exciting. But uh, it's interesting. We were talking before we got started here about uh, you know, renting houses up there and as the family gets bigger and you have more children running around, different needs, you need a bigger house, more rooms. And it's amazing how up on this kind of microcosm of an area in the middle of New Hampshire, the Lakes region, uh, they have all these different rental properties that can find any need you want in any location of the lake. Uh, it's really a, a free market at work, and it's just uh, refreshing to go up there. And the, the, you know, the question at the end of each uh, trip is, how did this house compare to the house the year before? Do we want to come back here? Or we want to weigh our options. Um, the house we found this year was great, uh, and uh, I think we're going to go back again next year. So it's, uh, you know, again, like I said, you look at it from the perspective of a free market and being able uh, to have a, a endless options, you're able to find something for, uh, what was it, nine adults, six children, two dogs, and, you know, uh, all the, the craziness that goes along with that. So it was, it was a great trip. That's awesome. Yeah. You didn't go to Marriott or Hilton? Uh, no, I, surprisingly, uh, they, you know, the major chains don't accommodate for that large of a group. So um, if we were trying to, uh, when we were younger, a family of six, me and my three sisters and my parents, we'd, you know, go on a cruise or something like that. But um, again, as the families get bigger, you know, they have unique situations and uh, it's something that uh, the the bigger chains maybe don't have a market for. They can't uh, justify having a big room. Uh, these niche providers that are using stuff like Airbnb and, uh, you know, up in New Hampshire, they've been using uh, the website's VBRO, the vacation rental yep. by owner. Okay. Uh, but even before that, you had realtors. They make uh, livings instead of, you know, renting, uh, you know, apartments or selling homes, they do vacation rentals. And they, you know, that this is investment properties for a lot of people. It's, uh, I believe uh, the guy that owns our a place from New York or something like that. But uh, again, it's, it's, you have a great situation. It makes this beautiful, large home, uh, had a game room bar in the basement, you know, enough to accommodate the, the, the large group we had right on the water, a nice little beach. Um, you know, we get to experience that you wouldn't normally necessarily get that to uh, to have. And if you only want to use it for a week like we did, and we use it for a week every year, uh, you can make some great memories up in, up in there and, and, and take advantage of that. So again, that's, you know, there's some things that we have in Rhode Island when they start talking about getting a registry, a list of people uh, that own Airbnbs, or uh, they want to uh, detract from that opportunity from people to uh, experience Newport and, you know, the other places that Rhode Island has to offer uh, in a unique way. It, you know, you're taking away from that if you start over-regulating that portion of the business or the portion of the uh, the hospitality industry, I guess. Yeah. 
No. Well, I tell you what, all the problems you left here, they're still here. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's gotten worse. And one of the things, just a quick segue uh, into some of the metrics that we do towards a evaluation of the state debt and other things, um, uh, it has gotten worse. But you know, we, we've we've been covering this for uh, about three months now, right? So I kind of wanted to recap and see, okay, when the small span of time of three months, what, what have we seen in these metrics? So. I, uh, I pulled a few of them together. So our population has grown by 158 people. Wow. Okay. Uh, the, the number of unemployed increased by 14,421. The number of food stamp recipients that went down by 2,129. And I want to say we started seeing that trend when we started seeing some of those unemployment benefits and the, the thresholds for them to start to go down. Yep. Um, you know, our GDP uh, is increasing. Uh, it went up by in, the, in three months, uh, $439 million, which is great. Uh, compared to the historical data, uh, we saw that the gains lifted, believe it or not, when the government lifted regulations and restrictions. I want you guys to remember that for later. Right? <laughs> uh, and uh, our debt, I don't know if we have a drum roll, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> our debt is $11,787 million and growing. Uh, since we started keeping count, that's $25 million over three months of debt, not, not spending right. debt. You know, based on those updates, uh, you know, about every episode that you guys listen to, just keeping back your head, it's about $5 million, right? Uh, and then, uh, you know, just another fun uh, metric for you. Every second that goes by, hold on. $3. Okay. So every second, it's another $3 in debt, straight debt service, not even spending. All right. Ugh. Uh, you know, why do we have so much debt? I mean, debt is in the news right now at the national level. They're talking about raising the debt ceiling. Otherwise, the U.S., uh, the Treasury Department put out that they might have to start to default on things and Congress can't let that happen. Right. There, there aren't ways to curb down your debt. Um, so, uh, you know, and our spending has been out of control you know, here in Rhode Island. So, it's it's just one of those things. In the last three months, we spent seventy six million dollars, right? And for a total uh, to date for this fiscal um, plan is uh, thirteen point eight billion dollars. Well, if you go back to what our budget, our recently approved one, it's thirteen point one billion. So we're absolutely capable of spending way more money, um, and we are. That's why we have a deficit, and we're spending fifteen dollars every second, right? So it's it's you know it's one of those things where uh, people don't might not see it as a parent, but at the national level, it's about to be a crisis. And it shouldn't be just one act of Congress to be able to curb tail that, right? And, and you know, that that's the real, quote unquote, trickle down economics right there, where, you know, they, they have those common trends. I don't know if you guys have any quick thoughts on that. Other than I'm sad and want to cry. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's no light at the end of this tunnel, right? I don't, well, then the new justification used to be that, you know, debt, any debt, accumulating debt was bad. We're burdening the next generation with, you know, that future debt and everything like that. But that that's just become a, a, a an ineffective storyline now. So now a lot of what they talk about is, well, we, we're allowed to or we can accumulate more debt as long as we're not uh, the interest rates don't rise above what it costs to service the debt. So as long as we don't, it doesn't start costing us money, we're fine. But as soon as those interest rates start to fluctuate significantly, you're going to see a catastrophe with the uh, the U.S. dollar. That's your, 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 your it's going to be a scary situation because if, what is it, something like 25% of all uh, uh, currency has been printed, has been printed since the pandemic or something right. like that. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just hard 
hard to wrap your mind around. There's that chart. And again, I, I, I forget, I might've mentioned this before in another podcast, like the M1 or the M2 money supply from the Fed. And it's like, you look at that chart and it almost looks like it's fake. Yeah. Like how can that even possibly be? But it's like this hockey stick that, that just shoots straight up over the last two, like a year and a half, I guess it's insane. And and how do you recover from that? And then, then it's of course the state budget's going to look like this because they're just mimicking what the federal budget's doing. And, and it's just no accountability. There's no thought behind it. It's just, like you said, makes you very depressed and make you want to cry a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> now there is a slight difference and Bill, you might want to run back to New Hampshire because, uh, you know, I, I compared their stats to ours. So I won't go into the, into depth cause we've got a loaded show today, but you know, they have a higher population. Uh, what, what's the difference? To population, just quick. Uh, it's about 300k almost. Okay, I, I want to say, which is funny because I remember, uh, not to sidetrack you real quick, but I remember a couple of years back using um, New Hampshire as a comparison, and our friend John, uh, another partner in uh, Liberty RI, um, would often refer to to uh, New Hampshire as having a, a, a fairly similar population. Yeah. So their population is growing. Ours is not. <laughs> wow. Right. Wonder, wonder why that is. Okay. Just no. Uh, that that's really interesting to link it. Right. Especially where I just told you in the last three months, it grew by 158 in, in Rhode yeah, Island. Right. Yeah. So they, they've got a larger population than us now. Uh, they've got lower uh, food stamp recipients. Uh, their GDP, uh, let me pull this up yet, is much better than ours. They have less debt. Um, you know, their debt per citizen is $7,900. Ours is 11,132. Um, and it, it's, it's just one of those things where um like they don't have an income tax right you know what i mean so now that uh, taxation is theft no matter how, what bow you want to put on it but you know at the end of the day it's it, they they have the same similar challenges that rhode island would have geographically so it's really just the the, the change in in the administration and the government that's kind of guiding that that there right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite interesting. But we are glad you came back, Bill. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we need someone to help with all we, this. <laughs> <laughs> Dig ourselves out the best that we can. Right. Well, one of the reasons why the uh, the debt is so high is because of uh, the cost it costs the state to regulate all the businesses that it wants to regulate. And I don't think that's something people kind of link together and something I kind of wanted to, to, to bring up and kind of use for my section of the show here is about regulations in general, what they are, what's wrong with them, why libertarians hate regulations, why we feel that the the free market is the, the best possible solution. Um, and really uh, what probably brought this on for me was I shared a an article or a post that I think Liberty RI made about um, – the, the fishermen uh, during the COVID pandemic were allowed to sell fish right off the docks. Imagine right. that. You, know, yeah, yeah. you catch a fish and you show up at the dock and there's some uh, person with a wad full of cash wanting to buy that fish from you. And, uh, well, nope, I can't sell directly to you. I got to go to a, a wholesaler or something like that. So um, I, it, it's fine. I just before you go on, I add to that. My wife's half of the family is in the in the fishing industry in Rhode Island. My daughter actually works on a fishing boat in the summers when she's home from college. Um, that would happen before this, before the deregulation or the pause in regulation, whatever you want to call that. It would happen constantly down the dock, especially tourists would come down there. Hey, you know, they're in town. They want to buy fresh lobster or because mm-hmm. that's bragging, right? Like you get back and I bought lobster right off the dock. Right off the I boat. Yeah. Clams right off the dock. Right. But 
family members would have to turn people away. They weren't able to do it, right? Yeah. Like, well, they, 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 there was, you would either do it, do it, and be, you know, risk. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and and again, it, this is again, you're you're yeah. create, turning people into criminals. You are going to put someone if they resist you going up and giving you a fine or arresting them for selling seafood illegally off the dock. If you resist or, or don't comply, they're going to put you in jail. Is it worth it to put someone in jail for selling a selling lobster a couple clams. or clams <laughs> off the dock? A couple crabs, like give me a break. So um, I can tell you somebody who. Uh, you know, wasn't wasn't necessarily a fan. Uh, is exactly right. I, I used to work in the uh, the the seafood industry. I would work for a wholesale company. I'm wearing their hat right now um, uh, of a fishing company, and uh, they would buy the seafood from the fishermen off the docks, and then they would sell it wholesale to the restaurants. And uh, there was a couple different types of wholesalers. Some would sell directly to uh, the restaurants themselves. Other would sell to the restaurants, and but they'd also have a retail operation mm-hmm. out of the front. And um, other ones actually ran restaurants and they'd buy off the docks and they'd sell the, the fresh seafood right off the uh, the docks themselves. So there was this tiered system because of the regulation. So there is a piece of uh, news that after the COVID pan- uh, pandemic is over, they're going to remove this uh, regulation and fishermen can in perpetuity go ahead and, and sell fish off the docks. And, you know, oh my God, the world is not ending. You know, I, I, I imagine that somebody's allowed to come and buy, uh, you know, and people can put some stuff. Well, hold on. All the, the, deaths from that it's got to be mixed in with the COVID numbers right well you know it's it's just it's a way of helping the the fishermen in a tough time when the restaurants are closed and they aren't buying their things you know the bigger thing that i i see is that the reason behind it is if you're doing a bunch of cash transactions on the dock how are you going to track that for tax purposes right i mean that's (laughs) that's the real problem i guess now everyone wants venmo and and credit cards so you know maybe they'll have a a square on your lobster boat or something like that to to take a payment but um what what happened down at the state here in uh, Newport, actually, was they formed a little cooperative of, and this was before the uh, the regulation was removed because of the pandemic, and all the, uh, the fishermen got together and they made a little seafood shack and they mm. could buy it right there. Um, again, th- th- there's people that are going around the system for ridiculous reasons for regulation. So um, going back to my point, though, who's keeping an eye on this, making sure that the people aren't you know, selling lobsters off the dock or, you know, making sure that these wholesale companies that, you know, they're operating uh, meet up some type of code, I guess, because why not? They're, they're operating, you know, you think that they'd want to keep a clean establishment, um, you know, and, but, and of course they need the government to tell them to do that because there's no incentive to offer a quality product out of a clean manufacturing facility or anything like that. Right. More Unless, profits is not an incentive no, enough, right? Like, yeah, yeah. just because, you know, when I, when I go to a, you know, a restaurant or something like that and I see a, 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 the, the kitchen, the, sw- the door swings open or they got one of those open windows and it looks like hell back there. You know, it really makes me want to chow down and have seconds. No, and come- stop because there's a certificate on the wall that says that they, they pass an inspection. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that, that's so, the protection there. So, oh, so we ended food illness entirely then, right? Nobody gets sick anymore. Or there's no, you know, like, wait, yeah. I, there's a show I think on, on television, it's called Kitchen Nightmares. Right. I, I mean, like <laughs> those all have inspections on, they have ins- the health inspectors in those towns, don't they? I think. They, they did a couple of those in, in the local area, yeah. I thought, too, didn't they? So it's it, it the idea that and th- th- there's no financial incentive to keep a, to run a good shop or to produce a quality right. product. And, and then on top of that, like, so, OK, all right, so fine. We're going to create a set of standards. Well, why does the government 
have to be the entity that creates a set of standards. Like, why can't a association of people get together and they are a restaurant association and say, you know, here's going to be our standards or, you know, uh, uh, or you could be a certified, you get a James Beard Award. Do you think the James Beard Award is worried about the health inspector coming in? And do you think you're going to get a James Beard Award or a five-star Michelin restaurant if you get a crappy kitchen that's not up to health code? Like, no, it's unbelievable the thought that there's no financial incentive without the government coming in and telling people they have to keep a clean establishment or they have to not put poisonous substances in the st- stuff they're going to sell them. That that's the whole that the the thin regulatory line that's separating us from chaos is right. is, is, is is the government yeah. is the government. Yeah. And, no, go ahead. Well, and and so it, my 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 point is is that. If that was the case, the thin regulatory line was saving us from near death, then why in holy hell during the pandemic, when people are dying left and right from COVID, are they going to repeal all these regulations and and pull back the 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 requirements for vaccines and testing and trials and everything like that? Because everyone would be dying of everything then well, at well, that point. It doesn't make any sense. So wouldn't, isn't the regulations the only thing saving us right now? And now they're going to remove them all during when we need them the most? Like, we're at the most vulnerable. COVID's wow. here. Like, like seriously, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's it like just... a peeking behind the curtain now. You're seeing the Wizard of Oz for who he really is, right? Like, it's... Uh... But, but they hold on to it, though. Yeah. And they, they, they look at you and they say, well, no. Like, back in the 1940s, we didn't test uh, cows for tuberculosis. And it's like... What? They're like, oh, in the 1900s, they put plaster in the flat. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Are you like having these problems? Like, like, geez, the bigger problem we have in this country is like China making counterfeit stuff and selling it on the street and people trying to buy it online through like eBay and ridiculous sources to get a, a deal and getting toxic su- substances, not legit companies making a product and selling it on. Like, it's it's just unbelievable. It's just- yeah. And, and if a company does get caught doing that, they're the recourse, they're essentially going out of business and there's a lawsuit potential and all that other stuff. Yeah. But you bring up, bring up that point. I I constantly make this, and I'll probably done it a dozen times on this podcast. We're only what twenty two podcasts. <laughs> is, is is the idea that you know, like you said, if there is a standard that is required, the the market again will take care of that. And I use the the example of auto shops, right? ASE certifications, right? My dad owned a automotive uh, repair shop for a, a good portion of my life. And he had the sign on the outside on the bricks that said ASE certified mechanics, you know, so a person pulling up knows that the mechanics, at least inside, or at least some of the mechanics inside that shop have met that standard. You've got uh, things like ADA, American Dental Association with toothpaste, right? They put their little stamp on the toothpaste. You get their, you know, stamp of approval. Um, Four out of five dentists agree. That- yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> like, and then you got, you know, Underwriter Laboratory that um, certify, it's a private organization that certifies electrical equipment, you know? Now, granted, the, the government's gotten its fingers in that saying certain things have to be certified, but on, UL is a, is a private lab, right? Um, and I, you can go on and on, right? Why can't you have have the you know the Rhode Island Barber, Barbers Association to certify barbers that they're they're cutting hair properly or hairdressers or well you and, know, like- and and the one thing that every single one of these businesses have in common that you just went through is that during this pandemic if you had some type of license that's required to do your business as a, as required it's to cut hair you need an entertainment license or a liquor license you need some type of license to operate 
you were restricted by the government. If you didn't have any type of, like, you were just operating with a regular business license, you weren't held to the same requirements and the same restrictions. So basically what it turns into is, is it gives a bludgeon to the state to enforce restrictions on a set group of people. And to tie this whole thing up into, because we could talk about this forever, yeah. um, is really it, what the, the net effect of all this is it kills innovation. And that's the big issue. And it's because you now have a one set way of doing things. And now there's all these regulatory issues. And this is exactly what's happening with Facebook and Twitter and Google. And the, the, now that the they were in this space that never existed before, mm -hmm. and they operated and they set their own rules and they did their own thing. And then all of a sudden the government went, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And who's the first group of people that's jumping on board and cheering the government on saying, yes, we need to be regulated. We need to have these. And why is that the case? It's because if they're regulated, that prevents, a, it creates a barrier for entry for new and different types of competing marketplaces that we don't even know of we can't even conceive of and and i'll tie this up with with one last thing is that think about cars for example right like who decided when henry ford invented the model t that that was the end-all be-all of transportation we've had them forever like the end of innovation has basically stopped four wheels and tire. If anything, innovation has gotten better in terms of the, the, you know, the safety and everything and the, and the speed and, and all this other stuff. But we could have Jetsons flying cars or some other type of issue that's in place, but we've created all these regulations around cars and created a marketplace around these cars and the highways to service them and subsidize them and everything like that, that it's creating a barrier entry for alternative modes. And then look what's happening with Uber and all these other things that's up, it's disrupting the whole entire thing. People are losing their minds over. It's crazy. Interesting thing you mentioned about cars, like uh, safety innovations in cars are often a very often not driven by regulation, right? You'll get like a car company that decides to do side current airbags or things like that. These aren't required, but they're like, we need a, something to market to our people to to use as, you know, we can use in our advertising saying we have a safer car. So they do that. But then the regulations follow on, right? Yeah. Then they start yeah. requiring in all vehicles, backup cameras when they were, you know, all these types of things that, you know, they'll, they'll hit the bare minimum, but they're like, well, we need to, we need to do more. So they do it. And then, then the regulations take effect. And again, that yeah. starts locking people out of being able to, cause now they have to comply with the newer regulations and it also drives the cost of yeah. car, like cost of cars have gone up significantly. Exactly. These safety measures and these yeah. things, the cost to replace them, they become more disposable. They there's and and the rate of return in terms of yes, deaths per million have come down or whatever, but you know, it, the, the incident report, but like, it's a flattening curve. It's not, you're not getting the same results as you were from the 1970s where cars were just death traps. You know, you know, not, what was that? The, uh, not safe at any speed documentary. Like, yeah, that's a bad situation, but things improved upon themselves. And now the market demands that you have safe vehicles. So that's what you have, but it's, it's, it's a market force. Yeah. And they've really just used it to try to get competition out of the way. Right. So they'll come up, they'll spend the capital investments or the engineering, and then they'll use it and they'll come up with it. They'll implement it and be like, well, we're doing it. We did it first. And now I got to make sure my competitors do it. And it yeah. might not be anything groundbreaking, but it's something they're not doing in a whole product line right. that they're about to release. So, you know, we, we've seen recent things in Massachusetts and things like that. And that's why you, you see such a small amount of automotive companies, because it's so hard for a new guy to come in because they got all these lobbyists putting all these requirements uh, and it stifles innovation, just like you were saying. And, 
And the default on the people that are proponents of all these regulations, the default assumption is the person, the individual is not smart enough to make a decision on on their own saying, okay, I want to invest in a safer car or no, I'm going to take a risk with myself and invest in a less safe car. You know, it's it's your own, and I'll get into this a little bit in my in my segment, but it, you know, at what point is it your individual responsibility to make those decisions as opposed to the government regulating it and then driving the cost up and, well, and, 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 you know, maybe now you can't even buy a car, right? Well, go to, exactly. Go to the car itself. Go back to it. In order to qualify to get the crash test rating, you have to crash so many cars to do the test. So they have to manufacture so many cars that are just going to be smashed to hell. Well, if I'm a small car manufacturer, maybe I want to create a, like a, a, a niche car that's only for a certain group of people. I'm completely shut out of the market because I'm probably going to have to make more to crash and I'm going to sell in, you know, if I want to be a boutique car manufacturer. So it's, yeah. it's but, but again, it's, it's, to the point where we could do that without the government though right yeah. we don't have to certify anything if, if if i if i heard that this one part went through a million crash tests but this competitor well they only did it five times well if there's an industry standard that collectively folks want to set if they had that sticker slapped on the side there uh, you know that's that they have incentive they, they that's want more information for the consumer exactly i mean these people have incentive to perform and and, and and when they do that they will get more customers because they hear that um if um, you know my wife recently bought a car and and we absolutely love it, right? And it's got all the bells and whistles. It's super safe for our kids. Really happy with it. My next automotive purchase, based on all of those things that I did, will likely be that. So they have incentive because it's such a big investment that mm-hmm. people don't make as often as other things like going to the grocery store. They have an incentive to perform here. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we can even tie this back to the initial discussion on fishing, right? Like if you know you're going to go down to the dock to buy off the boat, you're taking a risk, right? Like that, there's a little bit of a risk there that you're willing to either take or not take, right? You can, you can make that choice. You can choose to do it or you can go to the, you know, you spend, maybe spend a little less buying direct from the fisherman with a little more risk, or you spend a little bit more and buy from the fish market with, you know, reality is it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a little bit older. Yeah, exactly. What what do those things do for us now? The guys are literally, it's, it it is less fresh. They're still handling the same end product. I don't, I don't, what's the value? And and then, you know, obviously, you know, they, they, they charge the fishermen for all these different um, uh, licenses and and things like that. So even, even these pop-up licenses, I think they had to pay for those too. Right. And again, it's it's yeah exactly. There's this is this not doing away with it entirely. They're just doing it away with in certain situations where they've decided that it's all right. And same thing, like they're trying to do the same thing with to, to go drinks at restaurants. And why the hell is that an issue? Why can't well, I get on, it no, to go? I'm gonna I'm gonna counter you right there. Wait one year, we're gonna see the the rates of to go margaritas uh, is gonna be the next pandemic. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's I know it is it is gonna be the next pandemic. So, but it's, speaking of uh, ridiculous decisions that have been made uh, because of the uh, the pandemic and and uh, everything. Uh, what's what's going on with uh, our own state? And uh, we reached a milestone in the last uh, last few few days. Yeah, we did. So I, I saw an article that indicated that uh, Rhode Island ranked number forty eight in small business or in business climate to be able to prop up a business. Now. Most of Rhode Island's GDP is on the basis of small business. I want you to keep that in mind, but I I actually want to go back a little bit. You know, we talk about McKee, and McKee, when he was lieutenant governor, he was kind of known for, I guess, championing small business. Uh, That that was his his claim, right? And then, you know, we've got a a new lieutenant governor, right? Uh, Sabina Mattis, right? Or Mattis. I I might be saying that wrong. Um, But I kind of wanted to, before we get into some of those nuances there with that, because it all kind of ties into it. He was such a uh, proponent for small business. 
business. And obviously we, we crushed all the small businesses in the last 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, but I wanted to go into, you know, the Lieutenant governor, what does the, the Lieutenant governor do? I kind of did a little bit of digging, you know, so a, a, a brief civil um, a lesson for everyone or civics lesson, but I, I kind of want to tie that to, you know, they, they're, they're championing these uh, small things and, and, and we progress from there. Right. So um, we have our new Lieutenant governor reason why I bring her up. She just reached a milestone of a hundred days in office. Right. So you know, the position of lieutenant governor has always been a little suspect in Rhode Island, uh, as 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 we know here at the table. Bob Healy, I think he ran for it uh, oh, yeah. three times, and he ran for governor four. Yeah. And his platform, lieutenant governor, was to abolish the office of lieutenant governor, right? And and when he said that, he got thirty nine percent of the vote. So, yeah. he, you know, when uh, McKee was lieutenant governor, he had his pet projects for small business in Rhode Island. Again, I don't know how successful that they were. Um, so I, I dug into and you know, our source documents should always, uh, when we're talking about what the government should be doing, we should reflect back to the Constitution, right? <laughs> so I went through the Rhode Island Constitution, and in terms of executive powers, it listed, you know, the chief executive power of the state shall be vested in a governor who, together with a lieutenant governor, shall be elected by the people. If there's a vacancy in the office of uh, the governor, the lieutenant will fill until there's qualified actor or uh, the next election cycle, right? And then the only other thing that the Constitution actually says about the lieutenant governor is that the, the compensation for the position is set by the legislation, which in the uh, fiscal year 22 budget that was just signed, it's 122K a year. Okay. Oh, that's that's not that too bad though. You know, it's it's just you know 122k to fund the lieutenant governor. That, that sounds like a bad deal. That's sole duty is to wait for the governor to basically be incapacitated well, or. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, but he won an election though, so I mean, it's like a popularity contest. So it's like kind of like a, a like it's like it's like Survivor or like you know a reality TV show. Hunger Games. Of, yeah, yeah. So this is is an interesting thing. Is the the actual um budget that gets signed, it, it actually expands the powers of the lieutenant governor just a little bit. Uh, I, I, I know it doesn't wait, say it in the constitution. So wait, what, what time zero is what is what? I mean, <laughs> well, hang on a second. The lieutenant governor is tasked to be the chair of three different councils, okay, okay. the long-term care coordinating council, the emergency management advisory committee, which by the way, um, the emergency, wait, wait, didn't we just go through an emergency a little while back? Yeah. I didn't see I didn't, the key. I, I didn't hear, I didn't hear a lot from the key. He wasn't, he wasn't allowed in the press conferences. And then <laughs> the, the third one is the small business advocacy council. So they're, you know, that, and that's just in the budget write up for when they have to justify the cost. So they must've looked at that, the budget and be like, guys, you got to do more because, uh, because the budget for the office of the Lieutenant governor is 1.2 million a year. Wait, hold on. 1.2 million. I thought he was 127,000. So he, he, he or now she makes that much, uh, but he's got, or she's got a supporting office wait, of people. But he just sits around or she just sits around and waits for the governor to, to go to Washington and DC. chairs the three councils. Okay. Though. But that's like a volunteer position kind of like, I mean, he already won the hundred, <laughs> what is it? It's like $127,000. He already won survivor. Like what, what's like, what, what is the office staff doing? Well, I'll tell you. So he's got a, there's a total of eight positions, including the Lieutenant governor. So there's the chief of staff, which actually makes 149 K makes wait. more than the Lieutenant governor. Wait, are you kidding me? Nope. Wait, wait. I, I, I I knew that the chief of staff of the governor made more than the governor, but I didn't know the chief of staff of the lieutenant governor. So wait, so the chief of staff of the person that sits around and waits for the governor to, to get a job in Washington, D.C., makes more than the person just sitting around that won the Survivor game show and, and became a, a 127,000K the popularity uh, pen, pen, <laughs> pensioner for the state of Rhode Island. Well, you know, you need someone to run the rest of the staff. So okay. hold on a second. All right. So they have a, a, a communications director, okay. an executive secretary. Secretary, uh, three policy advisors slash analysts, and a p special projects manager. So, oh, wait, hold on. But like, what are they? 
publicizing. Like the governor didn't die today. Um, not that is all. The lieutenant governor stands by. Like I mean, what, what are they? What are they talking? So about? this is where the the breadcrumbs fade, and I can't tell the the rest of it. Like that's it. Like there's no other documentation on what they do. So I wanted to get to the bottom of it. It doesn't say what the lieutenant governor is supposed to do outside of what I found in the Constitution. Those two very basic things, plus uh, the the next thing of the three councils, right? So um, so back to the current lieutenant governor, right? I haven't heard anything really since she took office. So I did something that I recommend no one ever do. And that is to go through uh, a politician's uh, first 100 days worth of social media posts. Oh, God. <sighs> it was really rough. But um, uh, so I dug in a little bit. I, I went to figure out what, what she's done. Uh, so on her website, uh, or the, at least the lieutenant governor's website, I found that um, her priorities are housing, small business growth and development, elder care, education, and veterans affairs. You know, nothing in, uh, sounds inherently bad about any of those things. Um, I, I think they're important, right? And not necessarily the role of government. But, you know, as we continue to you know, advocate for those things, uh, those actually are things that the government ends up uh, constricting rather than enabling, right? So, uh, you know, we can, we can look back at the state and federal government response to COVID-19, right? That's a huge testament to that. So again, I, I went through all her posts and uh, I noticed in her first hundred days, she did 91 things. So, so that's up to interpretation. We're going to go through some of them. It's one a day or like, she well, you know, she weekends. did multiple things okay, uh, during right. the day. So it's not like she did something a- average, day. like one, a, almost, almost you know, one a day. Yeah. Close. So these consisted of her either showing up to a place, joining McKee in some sort of announcement or doing a live stream. All right. So uh, I'll touch on a lot of the high level ones and then I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on it. But, you know, she hosted a small business town hall virtually with Rhode Island uh, government officials eight times uh, where so all she they, hosted a Zoom call. Yeah, she did. That, okay. That's what it was. Um, and all it was. And I can only stomach one of them. Uh, it was just government officials patting each other on the back for COVID. Yeah. She did a live stream from some random chamber of commerce. She went to uh, three environmental events. Um, you'll see that she just attends things. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the theme. She went out to eat 10 times. She went to four veteran-related events, uh, including Memorial Day and a Gold Star Family donation celebration. She went to a jobs-related event. She took credit for uh, Fidelity announcing 500 new Rhode Island jobs. Uh, you know, she went to uh, a couple uh, local school events. She went to a bunch of graduations. She even, I think, was the capstone speaker for for one of them. She went to one emergency management event. So she's on that chair, right? Yeah. She's a chair of that. She went to some uh, train station event. She did uh, 18 miscellaneous visits. So things that I, I couldn't really put my finger on, but she posted about going to these things. Usually it would be, oh, I joined uh, McKee today to do this. And, and the one theme I will say is like Ramondo and McKee never really seem to be on the same plane. The two of them are yeah, very joined together. So well, she didn't win the popularity. She didn't win the popularity contest. She was appointed by McKee, <laughs> so they must have been friends to begin with. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, she did uh, four or participated in four uh, miscellaneous live streams. Uh, she went to, uh, she had an event on housing, not affordable housing, just housing. Uh, she went to seven vaccination sites. 
Uh, she uh, went to a uh, fisherman event. Uh, she held two small business live streams. Uh, she visited eight random small businesses. She visited three healthcare clinics. She went to a police event. Uh, she claims that she went to every single city in Rhode Island. Uh, she stood around at a lot of bill signings. She went to three uh, pride events in June. She went to four affordable housing events. Uh, she went to one homeless population event, two women's events, two events related to commerce. She hosted the uh, consulate from India to improve India-Rhode Island relations. Right, because that's a huge yeah, relationship there. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 I couldn't think of what else to say about that one. And, and then she, uh, and she saw, uh, she went to a religious event. Um, so McKee did include her. On, that, that's like the, the capture. The, the, the theme of that is she, she visited things and she attended things. Yeah. Not once did I see what did she do? What value did she provide? She, she seemed to like to go to the thing. She got to go out to eat. Mm. She got to, um, you know, be the lieutenant governor in status and go to these events and speak to people, you know, likely inside of an echo chamber based on the things. But again, she's supposed to wait around for the government or the governor to, you know, for something to happen relative to a vacancy, or she's the, the chairwoman of those three councils. Other than that, a lot of that stuff did not fall into what she's tasked to do. Yeah, I, I, I mean, not, not to, not to, not to bash on uh, Miss Matos in, in, in particular, because I think she was actually a net loss for the the city of Providence on their city council. I think she was probably one of the better. You know, when you have uh, a bunch of lemons on the the city council, she was like probably the best, like nicest one I'd want to make lemonade out of. Uh, and so they really lost something for the the city of Providence. But you know, again, it's it's a a ridiculous position. It's it's completely unnecessary. I, I think it's ridiculous how we can't have an election for lieutenant governor, a special election if the governor, you know, something happens to the governor, because I mean, we had a special election to vote on bond referendums that they decided were, too, yeah. you know, too early to get on the, the regular, uh, the ballot. So, I, I mean, it's, it's something that until somebody like a Bob Healy gets elected and makes a complete mockery of it, uh, you're going to have a bunch of career politicians use it as a stepping stone, but what the yeah, McKee's looking to do. And, 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 you know, it's a, it's a holding spot for, you know, all these government positions. You go be chief of staff on the Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor's staff, you know, you're a publicist, you're a, some clerk, uh, you know, some ridiculous sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year job. This is the deep state. These are the people they're funding. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pass them around, go back to the regulation, all the different departments that regulate all the different, you know, industries that are out there. They all have staffs and everything. So just places for them to move people around to and and uh, fund uh, kickback jobs, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's just, uh, it's all for show, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just looking at those events. It's right. all, you know, it's an opportunity for, you know, someone to get into state office and then, you know, make all their connections and, and have that, um, you know, title on their resume that they were lieutenant governor and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so many states in this country, and I used to know them, I've forgotten, that don't have lieutenant governors, no. you know, and they have processes in place that would fill the vacancy and should something happen, you know, whether it's like the speaker of the house takes over and then you, you know, move somebody there or whatever. Well, there's a million of different ways you can yeah. do that. But you know, the fact is that so many other States way bigger and way more complex, you know, um, uh, governments than Rhode Island, uh, uh, can, can figure it out. 
It's it's seemingly infrequent. Right? So I wanted to tie it all together real quick, right? So McKee, his whole time he was supposed to be focused on small business. Mm. All right. And then, you know, we've got Ramundo who had her regime for, for a hot minute here. She's also still in the picture of the economy, right? She's the Secretary of Commerce. So, you know, their powers combined, and then, you know, we've got the first hundred days here, and then we get a ranking of forty eighth where we have an office focused yeah. on nothing but small business. Our major economy in Rhode Island is small business. So we put all this stuff in place and we're still almost dead last. And now, you know, I will say we did beat Connecticut. We did beat New Jersey. Well, and every piece of legislation, Joe McNamara just passed a piece of legislation ridiculous for the hospitality industry. And every time they do it, they say, it's so we can lead New England and yeah. we can lead New England in this. We can lead New England in that. And we're number 48. We're in yeah. 50. We're in every single measure. It's unbelievable. And, and I'm not sure if this is, you're looking at the same poll or same study, but um, I, I did see within the past couple of weeks that we ranked- a new one. But we bumped up two spots or something. We did. It was Absolutely. just the one. So we and we, they were bragging about it. Yeah. But it's like you went from like fifty to forty eight. It's like what? yeah. So it, it, we we would always hear at Liberty RI. We would always point to this twenty nineteen uh, ranking. I think it was CNBC ranked us dead last for right. business climate, right? And I think I it was did, even 51st, right? Behind DC. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but something like that. Yeah. And so th I think we got bumped up to like uh, 46 or, or something like that. So, uh, you know, but I wanted <laughs> I wanted to level the playing field. You just don't want to go to one source. So I did, again, uh, some other rankings that I found for Rhode Island. You guys probably, if you follow us on social media, uh, libertyri.com slash connect, um, yeah, that way, you know, Rhode Island was uh, number one in terms of being the most rude population. That, <laughs> you know, um, you know, there were some other recent best states, you know, generic clickbait things. Uh, apparently, there was a ranking where we dropped from 28th best state to 34th. Uh, the one driver for that is we were almost dead last in infrastructure, which take a look outside. You could see that. But the, the, the common point I want to bring here with all these different rankings, as much as we kind of joke about it, is that they all point to the same similar trends, right? You, you know, we talked in the very beginning of the episode, you can't blame being in New England for this no. because, you know, Massachusetts was very high up on the rankings. New Hampshire, we saw, we pointed to some of their metrics. They're doing better than us with uh, more challenges, more people, more roads, more, more everything that they would have to do at, at, in, in relative scale, right? Oh, we, I mean, I remember, hold on a second. We were number one in COVID uh, for a little bit, right? In the entire world. So that's that's another vaccine, Yeah, vaccination of. rates and stuff like that. Well, not only that, but we were number one in cases for about two days, I remember, that's per okay. capita. Yeah, I remember. Speaking oh. of off topic, but do you hear that the federal government's not going to investigate the nursing homes, the state-owned nursing homes in New York, and presumably Rhode Island too, for uh, for how they handle the COVID crisis? So oh, wow. again, going back to regulations, we regulate the, the government and who's the first one to break the regulations? The government. And then they don't get even investigated because it'll just make people look bad. They so won't what are, what are they there for? I, I don't know. Anyway, you, sorry. You, sorry to no, interrupt. <laughs> this is important because you told me earlier that the reason why they put them in there is for safety. Well, yeah. so, this is a Friday news dump. I just heard over the weekend. Like, this is like, hey, guess what? And by the way, you know, all those old people that died in nursing homes and the, they shut, the government would force them to take them back and everything. We're not going to investigate that. There was all these rules and regulations and everything that were in place. But no, no, don't worry about it. I wonder how that's going to go down in history. Uh, it's not going to go yeah. well. Sure. Time will tell. It's those yeah. damn to go margaritas. <laughs> um, you know, so I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of capped on, you know, what what I think we should do here. Uh, but you know, the Go Local Prov article that I derived a lot of this from, um, it, it seemed to describe that Rhode Island has seen these bad rankings in the past, and they've 
formed like legislative commissions to try to combat all this bad negativity. The one that they cite was one done in like 2013 or something like that. Is that the move the needle one? Uh, yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, I, and it didn't fix anything. Like they, they moved the needle. I don't, I don't think the wrong way. I know. Wrong right? way. It's a way we went to like, it moved it. Maybe like, I'm thinking of that meme of the cartoon, like, like hitting with a stick. <laughs> you know, move, move. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of want to close on this topic uh, and, and ask you guys and give some of my thoughts of what can Rhode Island do to turn some of this around? Obviously we found, you know, the state is not the answer in any of this. No. Uh, so, you know, so, some high level uh, things for us to think about, you know, we could absolutely reduce taxes, right. By reducing the proportion amount of spending. Uh, so we here, Liberty Rhode Island, we advocate for the elimination of all taxes. But don't you think that it's funny that when we have like a like a state tax free day or something like that, they notice an upward trend in like economic activity and all these positive things? I, I mean, that's I, I, again, I, something that you know, like I keep repeating the same stuff over and over, right? Like if if you have to remove a barrier to increase something, yeah. that that is acknowledgement that there is a barrier there. <laughs> so you're. Whether it's taxes, a tax-free holiday, yeah. or it's you know um, you know ta- easing up tax um, requirements for businesses to get businesses to move here, like you're 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 admitting that this is a problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, on the opposite side of that, you know, and, and people say, oh, you can't cut taxes, and you know, one situation where cutting taxes is a bad idea is where you actually don't like curb your spending at all right so you know sometimes that's a that's a very republican thing to do to cut taxes but either increase or don't change your spending Mm -hmm. right and you know when we find and we've talked about it so many episodes now less taxes is more money in people's pockets yes yes everything ends up costing less there are more opportunities available you could start new businesses it's it's wild well they can decide what to do with their own money imagine that like they don't have to have parameters around it and people telling them this is the framework where you have to spend this money in in this way yeah and you know they're not they're not looking at the right problems either right because businesses aren't not moving to Rhode Island because, oh, you guys don't have a free bus fare. Mm. You know, um, they're, they're, small businesses aren't looking forward to the the legislation setting the minimum wage nope. very high because that's another barrier. And it's, you know, again, if you raise the minimum wage, they have to charge more for the products. It's a self-licking ice cream cone here, yep. you know, and, or, you know, uh, our General Assembly has voted to eliminate and restrict whole industries. You know, I'm thinking about some of the 2030 renewable energy mandates that we've talked about on previous episodes, you know, uh, the, the green, what is a green, uh, economic justice zones or whatever, where you can't handle certain, uh, products or industries, wherever they paint the map green, things like that, you know, and, and, and we talked about it, but you know, the, the, again, the government constricts these types of things by nature. So if you get the government out of the way, you know, Rhode Island has a lot of raw opportunity. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. We're talking about the bragging rights of getting, uh, you know, fresh, uh, you know, clam off the boat or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, there's, but a lot of that is missed because of the business climate number one, 48, right? 48 in the whole country. And it's, you know, it's things like the high cost of living, which is driven by taxes, right? You know, uh, for an administration that's so focused, now you got the governor and Lieutenant governor hand in hand working, you know, going out to lunch on social media. Uh, And most of our GDP is derived from small business. 
what's going on? What's going to help that small business more? Having Savita Masto show up and have lunch at your space while she glad hands you and, and use it as political capital for her next run for lieutenant governor for the same ridiculous position or to cut regulations and taxes on your business so you can operate more effectively, efficiently and profitably and uh, supply more uh, better service lower prices to your customers and more profit and a better life for you and your family. That's like, I mean, that's the, 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 the how ass backwards this, this whole entire situation is. And it's, 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 it's continuing because every year, every single one of these budgets, cause they're not zero based budgets. They just get bigger every single year. So next year and, you know, sooner or later, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have to paint another portrait of, uh, of God knows <laughs> the next governor or Lieutenant governor, and it'll be however much money. And it just, again, we, we talk about this stuff because, you know, it adds up, it adds up over and over again. And, um, and, and they, they go and they keep on trying to insert and come up with these harebrained half-baked ideas about, uh, increasing economic development. Uh, one thing that I uh, harp on a lot is the opportunity zones. Um, and yeah. I know, uh, Mike wanted to talk about something in particular that was in one of those opportunity zones here in the state of Rhode Island. So uh, I, I do, before we get there, well, let's just talk about wasting taxpayer dollars. <laughs> so I've got two tidbits for East Providence. One is definitely talking about opportunity zones, which we'll, 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 we'll wrap up with. But the, the first one, it was just a kind of a, like a quirky, um, you know, quirky one that just highlights the, how wasteful the government is. And it's how about $25,000 to test whether or not a bike lane will be effective in downtown East Providence or first street in East Providence. They what? spent, they spent 25 grand or more, you know, um, to put that, a bike lane in on first street in East Providence that's supposed to connect the, the, the bike path, um, as a throughway and, it lasted six days. It was supposed to go for 30 days and it lasted for six and they determined, yeah, this ain't going to work. So they spent for 25 grand. <laughs> grand now, to, how did they spend 25? It, so they, they marked the streets. Wait, so the 25 the, grand in paint is what you're yep, saying. And paint a little, little reflective markers that Do stick we pass up onto the tariff pavement. on paint or something like know. that? Obviously how, labor, how, like labor, you know, that's How long not, of a stretch is this again? Yeah, like, I know. I, that's a good question. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get, catch how far, far it was going, but it was a complete disaster. You know, the traffic pattern got all screwed up. People didn't know which way to go. There was going wrong ways on now what are now one way streets all for bikes you know, to accommodate a bike path. Right. And they said, this is for the safety of the bicyclists and blah, 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 and all this other nonsense. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. At what point is it your responsibility to take on your own yeah. safety? Right. For you responsibly drive your car so you don't hit a bicyclist and you as a bicycle bicyclist ride in such a way that you're not going to get hit or you're aware of what's going on around you. It's absolutely nonsense. And, and again, it goes back to our free market situation where if you left up to the free market and, you know, Again, people may have to make hard choices about whether or not they want to drive cars, and maybe they have to drive bicycles because of nature that things are going on. It's it's it, you're subsidizing people driving vehicles and then complaining about the environment and saying more people should ride bikes and then creating trying to shoehorn a bike lane into a, an automobile yeah. path. It's, it's just ineffective. It, it's it's funny too because whenever I see these things and they pop up from time to time, the bike lanes here in Providence and whatever city, regardless uh, regardless of where it is. 
there's a common, like the people that are proponents of these bike lanes is a commonality of them, right? Like there's, it's almost a stereotypical kind of person that, that, that's always advocating for these things. (laughs) And they did a couple of interviews on some of the news shows of these people. I'm like, my God, like I wouldn't have guessed that you were for the bike path, right? <laughs> like, like you can always look at them and and know it's like kind of like the mom's demand action, yeah. you know, that shows up. It's the the rich white woman with you know uh, from East Greenwich that you know has nothing else to do except for you know it's yeah make herself feel better. Uh, but it, but I'm sure we got twenty five thousand dollars worth of like right. something right. Like uh, we must have that investment must have been made directly into the economy because when the government spends your tax dollars, it increases like like threefold or <laughs> broken something. window fallacy, yeah, exactly. right? But it, it, Mike, I'm confused because it said that it, it just confused the bikers and like no one knew what was going on and it was for safety and it was an analysis. Yeah. Well, what were they doing before? Right. Exactly. Like how was something, it? I mean, maybe it wasn't the safest thing, but something was happening before. Like how much was, how could it be that much worse than what it was before they had to take it down? Like, is it, was it really that bad? The government screwed up that poorly that they, <laughs> <laughs> that it was worse than, than the spontaneous order of somebody on a bicycle just driving on the side of the street. And- Not only that, what, I thought, don't folks already pay the take tax dollars to sustain and, and camp. We needed extra, like an extra little budget item to be able to well, do this thing. And it aren't, doesn't there are all sorts of traffic laws on the books for people riding bicycles that they're allowed to be riding bicycles in traffic with other vehicles. They have to follow the same yeah. rules of the road and everything like that. Well, what the, what's the point of all that legislation? If we need designated bike, bike lanes, lanes. It's, it, it's again, it's, it, it it's a way I, you know, and I don't know this. I'm again, I think it would be an interesting study for somebody to, the psychology behind people that are advocates for all these different, you know, things, but it's, it's, you know, it's almost as if somebody has a need to, to control their little sec- section of what's important in their life. I'm a bicyclist. I, I need to have something special for myself that actually hinders other people, right? Like it needs to make you feel less about yourself and me to feel better about myself because I have my own special safe place, right? It's, it's, I, I don't know if I'm just, you know, speculating on that, but it, it's a weird kind of, when you talk to these people, they've got a weird, you know, um, sense about them. Well, as somebody who uh, uses the bike paths in, uh, in my community right now, I grew up no bike pass. I used to drive my bike. I, I, there was no bike pass when I was growing up in no, Portsmouth. Wait, but you used to ride a bike? Yeah. yeah I like, didn't all, wear a helmet either. All, no helmet all yeah. over the place, like on the side of the road, like don't ride you're, in traffic. You're the edge case, yeah. okay? Well, anyway, so uh, now I live in a community. We have a bike path in the uh, in the Warren, Bristol area. So I, I have that added benefit. So I take my dog down there to walk. And, and yeah, those people that are on the bikes... They're the most unsafe people you can imagine. First of all, you're supposed to walk into traffic so they can see you coming. They got their head down because they're not paying attention. They got their earphones in. And so they don't see you to the last moment. They're swerving out of the way. Then they're screaming at you behind you, like on your left when they're they're trying to pass you and everything. It's, it's, again, they have uh, the bike paths have the stop signs when you come to intersections. Hardly ever stop at any of the things. Again, this is the thing that drives me nuts. they need to follow the rules of the road like everyone else. There's some type of personal responsibility in the fact that they're going to slap a bike lane and say that now you are protected, like you said, and you have free from responsibility. It's somebody else's fault if they if, they, if you get into an accident. That's right. not right. It's this notion that the government's responsible for keeping people safe and, and your safety. 
No, you're responsible. Nobody can keep you safe. You're responsible for your own safety. You're the only one that can do it. Yeah. You know, uh, it, and you have to be a, a, at least a, at least aware of your environment, where you're at, and how to act appropriately. And you know, like that goes back to this, like the caveman times, right? Yeah. Like it's not so, hard. so here's something that, and I, it's it's kind of a sad story. But Bill, do you remember? Uh, I think it was a couple years now. Uh, there was a child that was unfortunately was hit by a car over at Papa Squash Point. Yeah, right. And that. one of the 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 immediate actions is the community themselves put a stop sign out <laughs> it wasn't dear no, no dot person was going to come tear that stop sign down and tell you that much but there was a lot of yeah, hand wringing and people who was responsibility because it was a state road and the town council didn't want to get involved and the dot wasn't about to put a stop sign there and so somebody in the community did it just and took it over but again it's like what's your point like it's like this is the the whole thing is like you you have all these processes in place you you put you have a problem you solve the problem and and again it it doesn't need to have um you know people see an issue and they can deal with it and they can and they can make change in their own neighborhood and if if, if it's really that big of an issue you know eventually they came around and, and, and made it a permanent stop sign but uh but, but the community themselves they they solved it pretty much on the spot concerned yeah. citizens put a stop sign out which which is a great mitigation for something like that they got so much pushback from the town from the state yep. they wanted to do like i think like a ninety thousand dollar traffic analysis to figure out oh, the, yeah. just to put a, a stop sign up which they went to home depot and they figured out in a day mm. Yeah, it's and again, how much of of that also again falls on your own personal response? If it's a child, the parents responsible for for you know keeping track and all that other stuff too. Sure. Which I don't want to blame a parent for a tragedy like that because that's that sometimes things are harder. You can control an accident that's happened for sure, right? So it, it's yeah, it's just sad uh, situation there for sure. But um, anyway. but how many like you know traffic analysis have been done there, or yeah. the state use that as a as a justification? I need to spend a hundred k on doing a, a traffic analysis of this bike lane just so that we can prevent something like that. Yeah, and so that's kind of another thought I had on this whole twenty five thousand for this test, right? Who made money on this? Yeah. Like there was like uh, mention in, in some of the news articles and, and kind of like uh, hinting towards like we knew this was going to be a bad idea to begin with. So but they did it anyway. And who like who benefited from where did that money go? Right. Like the engineering firms, the, the, yeah. the, the, the those, those businesses that are solely qualified to work with the state because they have some connection or some type of requirement that's in place that allows them to do it. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. It, I, I'm on the Harbor commission in Warren and uh, we had save the Bay come in and they we had these drain, like the streets end right at the water. So they want to create some barrier to filter the water before it goes straight into the, the, the ocean. I mean, that's a, a noble idea. It's, you know, it's a tough situation for where everything's at. So they go ahead and they got an $80,000 grant to design the, uh, the runoff area and uh, they came down, they showed us the design, we're going to implement it here, here, and here, and here's your design and stuff like that. But we didn't get an actual plan, fi- fi- finished plan. We just got the design for it. That's all they had the grant hmm. money for. And so everything, well, we got the design at least now, we're ready to go, we'll start applying for the grants. Well, a few years later, they come back. And this design was proven ineffective in the old thing. So we never, not only do we get the improvement, we, we get the design, but the design's not is worthless anymore. It's again, who's making money off this? It's yeah. the people who have justified their existence in the positions that they're in. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. So moving on to the second thing in East Providence, which is kind of, uh, it's been in the news quite a bit, is the whole issue with the Metacomet golf course um, situation, right? So there's a golf, big golf course in East Providence, Metacomet golf course, and it was bought by, ended up sold and bought by Brad Faxton, 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 uh, 
popular golfer, a famous golfer, or whatnot. Local Rhode Island yeah, golfer. Local Rhode Island that golfer. That was his home course when he was growing right, up. Yes. Right. So, and Bill, you're, as a golfer, you can probably help help a little bit on this because I'm not. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've always said a golf course is a perfectly good, um, a waste of a perfectly good rifle range. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so it comes to find out. So he was going to buy this course and redo it and his grand, you know, it was it was losing money. The, the golf course was losing money, and they had an investment team led by one of the major investors, was Brad Fax, and they were going to supposedly buy the course, fix it up, turn it around, get it back to its g- former glory. Uh, lo and behold, within a year after purchasing the the golf course and everything like that, it was announced that they were going to now sell it to Marshall uh, Development, Marshall and Sons, I guess, yeah, yeah, whatever yep. the whatever yep. the yep. name of the company. It's a Marshall something, yep. um, and and they were going to develop it into basically condos. Yep. Yeah, kind of you know, mixed use yeah. area, you have commercial space and all this other stuff, which, uh, so again, libertarians, what is actually the foundational um, point or plank foundation of our philosophy is private property, right? Yeah. Everything stems from private property, right? So whether it's non-aggression principle stems directly from private property rights. You own yourself, all that other stuff. So the idea that they had this team bought this property and then they decide, well, we for whatever reason, decided that they don't want to do this anymore. And then they, they switch change, change their mind. It's perfectly within their their rights as private property owners to, to do so. There was some contention amongst the former board members of the club that was challenging that. Yep. And, but again, but to your point, yes, but, no, yeah. And yeah. there were issues, contractual issues there yeah. with um, people had dues that were paid up for, you know, throughout the year and all this other stuff. Again, all that stuff needs to be taken care of because we also believe in contracts. Not, not, not to yeah. mention certainly, it was, certainly it's, does. It's a, pretty shitty thing to do right. in terms of you, you said 100%. one thing and then flipped around the other way. So that's just, we're not defending that either, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. A hundred percent agree on that. And and those things do need to be solved. Those problems do need to be solved. And, and I'm not, I would not ever dispute that, but the idea that, so th- there's this group that was formed, um, uh, uh, keep, keep Metacomic green. I think it was the name of the group. Um, oddly enough, it's not my notes, but, um, the, the, I, the idea was that, they were going to um, uh, fight this this development, right? And 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 you know get community support to to fight the development and and um, you know prevent it from happening. They went so far as to try to get the uh, city council to um, enact eminent domain on this property, which again we're vehemently opposed to. Um, all these kinds of shenanigans. So so finally, there was a uh, zoning. I guess the part, one of the problems was the zoning to, they get to rezone this property to allow this development company to, to build what they want to build. And the, 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 the hearing was this past week on the 20th, uh, a couple of days ago, and they passed on a, a three to two to, to allow rezoning for, I think it's called multi-use uh, property. So they're, they've basically got to go ahead, but a couple of things this brings up again, aside from the private property thing, right? So one, one interesting thing I want to read real quick is the first plank of the communist manifesto, <laughs> which is the abolition of property and land and application of all rents of land to public purpose. Right. So it's a use of all land becomes public. And that's kind of seems to be what this group wants, right? They're, they're advocating, they need to have green space. They need to have, you know, it's going to impact the roads. It's going to impact, you know, potentially impact, negatively property values in the area, you know, usually new development increases, increases property, property but value, right, right. But, th- but that's an interesting point. Oftentimes it'll be thrown at libertarians because again, tr- typically we're against zoning regulation, right? Things will s- tend to self reg, you know, regulate again, we're talking about, you know, 
people, you know, neighborhoods tend to get built up and who's going to build a factory in the middle of a neighborhood? Why that doesn't make sense, right? Like to Mm -hmm. do something like that. Anyway, um, but the idea that um, um, the uh, the property value, right? So real estate is an investment typically. Within with investment comes risk. Yeah. So if you're you're saying you're going to drive down the the property value, that well that's on you. You made a bad invest. Your investment went bad. It's just like if you bought a stock and the company, you know, value went down. You lost money on that. If you're looking at real estate as an investment, then you're taking on that risk. If you're buying a house just to live somewhere, then that's you know I don't look at my property as an investment. I look at it as a place where I live as a, a utility. You know, like a utilitarian um, view, not an investment or financial. Um, incentive. I, I, I get, funny enough, I got in an argument with um, um, Catherine Kazarian where she was campaigning a couple of years back and uh, or, or door knocking came to my house and she was talking about, you know, uh, the schools in the area, blah, blah, blah. If we make the schools better, it increases your property values, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I don't, you know, it's irrelevant to me. More, more private schools would increase the property value too, but that's still irrelevant. It's not, you know, I'm not looking for the government to increase my par- property value. Which will also it, increase your taxes. Right, well, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Interestingly enough. Right. So anyway, so I thought that was kind of a, in, interesting. So they're using that again, you know, increased traffic in the area. The, the area is either going to sustain it or it's not, you know, again, that's, not, that's irrelevant. If, 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 if it doesn't sustain, you know, those businesses won't survive if, if the, the infrastructure can't, can't, can't handle it. Um, quality of life. Again, they talk about quality of life and well, what's to say that green space may be quality for you, but me only having to travel, you know, five minute walk to go get groceries is quality of life for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like who determines what quality of life is for, for any other person. So it was, it was quite interesting, but there's a flip side to this as well, right? There's a, there's, you've got these regular concerned citizens, I'll call them that are, that are in, in opposition. So you want to, you know, as a libertarian, I'm on the side of the private property owner, but then there's also a messy situation with the property owners in that this has also now been labeled an opportunity zone. Yep. <laughs> so there's this whole other entanglement with the government on this, on this land that is going to allow them to do certain things that distorts the situation as well. Yeah. Bill, could you quickly for, for those that aren't familiar, uh, give us a good definition of what an opportunity zone is. Sure. It's, it's interesting because this is something that um, it's back. It was, I believe it was the Obama administration was working on it, but it was actually the Trump administration that was the first to implement it. Um, And basically (laughs) it gave the uh, state, all the state, all fifty states, depending on population and everything like that, they gave them a certain number of opportunity zones, and it was at the discretion of the governor about which zones to choose. And it was all based upon census tracts. So they, where the census tracts were, were, and they had to meet certain qualifications. that had to be within a certain income threshold. Uh, but if you were designated a certain, if your income, if your census tract was designated an opportunity zone, you qualified for all sorts of uh, tax havens, uh, which it's funny when I, when I wrote, I I wrote some articles on Liberty RI, if you want to read through it and and really dig into it. But uh, when we did, it was before the pandemic. And I thought, well, what a, what a great way of taking your money and your profits because the stock market was doing incredibly well, uh, you know, during the Trump administration and, and pulling it out and putting it into real estate investment at a time when real estate is low, get the tax benefit on it. You can defer your capital gains taxes from those, um, 
uh, from those real estate or those uh, stock market investments uh, in by investing in real estate in these designated opportunity zones. And so it's interesting when you go look around uh, Rhode Island and see what zones the governor chose for people with perceivably significant amounts of money to be creating and taking advantage of these tax uh, benefits and these loopholes. Um, it was in Woonsocket out of all the, 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 the census tracts they could have chosen in Woonsocket, the ones they chose just happened to include uh, the, the head campus for C, uh, CBS. Um, <laughs> you, you go down in, uh, in Newport and, you know, Newport's got some uh, depressed areas and stuff like that. And of all the opportunity zones that uh, the census tracts that qualified for opportunity zones in that area, uh, they chose the area where Caprio uh, bought the old highlight down there with the old Newport Grand Casino. It, yeah, so that, exactly. yeah. so wow. now they can take advantage of it. And 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 you go up and down and even in Warren, uh, in my hometown, there's an opportunity zone, believe it or not. And it was just happened to be up uh, near the tourist project up there. They're building a whole new development up there. And there's more uh, development going on with the Hope in Maine and everything that's going on there. So it's, it's different ways of people to... Uh, Again, take advantage of tax loopholes, which we're in favor of as libertarians is paying as few taxes as possible. So if there is a something out there, but it just goes to show that the way they try to use tax policy to uh, get behavior change is is totally ineffective because you get all these uh, distortions in the market and, and you have unintended consequences. Like, you know, what if you're a low income area? That is otherwise a low income area, but didn't get chosen as a as a opportunity zone. What what? Why is anybody going to invest in there when you can go rip up a hundred year plus Donald Ross course that doesn't have any like you know individual properties they yeah. have to buy up? You can just buy it up with one big land purchase and tell me that somebody didn't see all this going on and nudge yeah. the governor and say, hey, you know that little spit of land across the, the river over in East Providence? Designate that census tract as, a, as an opportunity. That zone, sounds right? pretty crony, but <laughs> there are decent undertones of if you reduce taxes, there's more growth. But it, it seems like all that connects to this, right, Mike? Yeah, it, yes. Re reduce taxes for everyone. Why is it just a special zone? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. Just do it across the board. Um we would just grow everywhere. Would uh, the whole state could be an opportunity zone? We just cut taxes for everyone. That's right. <laughs> and then, that's a thought. <laughs> no, like, I only want targeted growth for yeah. certain people that I'm friendly with. Well, no, because then those 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 terrible rich people that might take advantage of it, and those under under uh, you know, like it just again, it shows you that there's a problem. And then they sit there and they try to use it to policy. So then they do great. Uh, rationalizations that, oh, these underserved communities, they, no one's ever going to invest in them unless we give them a tax hit. No, like there's plenty of reason. Look what's going on in South Boston and, you know, other areas that were, it's, and it's spreading out. If you have good economic engine driving the demand, you're going to have the uh, the improvements made again, we, you know, we look about investment properties. We talked about it at the top of the show, you know, if you have investors coming in buying properties, they're fixing up those properties. They're improving your housing stock. You know, it may be a temporary adjustment where people are being displaced, but change always occurs. And that yeah, always but happens. We haven't changed the oil on that engine in quite some time. We're number 48 for business climate in the United States. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So th there's even more cronyism involved here. So interestingly enough, in, in 2018, when, when the, um, uh, it says in February, 2018, two, I'm, I'm reading this from uprise RI, which again is an interesting Oof. source because it's so far left. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but 
the information that they, they, they bring it out is, is quite interesting. So in February 2018, two months after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was signed, uh, Rhode Island House Representative and House now Majority Leader uh, Shikarchi uh, and um, William Connolly <laughs> uh, designated 25 areas state as Opportunity Zone. Um, and they introduced a sister bill in the Senate, uh, was, which was Connolly, who was a former East Providence. Who got the boot because of this. Because of this whole thing, yeah. right? Um, but then also, interestingly enough, they were both associated with the um, legal team for Marshall Properties. Yeah, exactly. So again, there's this whole intertwined situation here where, um, you know, you've got multiple you know, things distorting what what should take place and what would hap- happen in a free market with property, right? Isn't the government supposed to prevent that? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, or get there or, or that, get in the way and make it and allow it to happen, right? Like, well, yeah. yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. much, and that's and that's the thing, right? Is the 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 stuff is still happening? It's just now it's happening and it's preventing free market other people from taking advantage of certain things. You're just giving it to certain people. You're picking winners and losers based upon yeah. your own financial incentive in what's going on. Apparently, there was another issue that a complaint with this with this um, keep keep um, Medicomic Green group is that the lack of transparency on Marshall's part, where they're not showing what their plans are for the property. Again, it's private property; they don't have to tell you, Bupkis. You know, it's it's none of your business how, how they want to do that. So they're again, they're demanding you tell us what you're going to do with your property. I think that's kind of silly. You know, uh, again, on the notion that this is private property, obviously there's strings attached to this private property, so that that further complicates that. You know, that reminds me of kind of the the uh, the thing of people saying, you know, you know, a big tech, right? We're talking about Facebook and, um, you know, oh well, you know, they're a private organization, they got their own thing, but then we hear things like you know, White House uh, press secretary coming out and be like, oh, we're letting Facebook know what we should flag, and we're letting it, them know, so they've yeah. got their hands right in something. So it's that weird notion of, you know, is it private or is it private? And there's got some level of public, you know, um, entanglement yeah, relative it, to that. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I guess one of the last um, issues that they're complaining about is the fact that it should the council approve this application um, along with the waterfront commission. Uh, it will be out of the council's control now. And the green and, and that green space is gone and gone forever, meaning that that property becomes released to the w- the will of whoever the owners are again, which I, I agree with. Um, yeah, there's a, a, a NIMBY aspect of this about people not wanting their communities to change again. That's out of your control when it's, when it's private property mm-hmm. areas evolve, right? Like, you know, at one time Providence wasn't a city, right? Like it was, you know, it evolved. It grew up into a city, you know, um, uh, you know, East Providence might end up growing up into a city or it might grow more rural as, you know, yeah. who knows what, what will happen over time. And there's things in place right now. There's land trusts and there's, well, there's like private market solutions to take care of that type of thing too. And that's a very good point. That was my thought, my first thought on this. What did this group do to, did they offer, did they raise money to offer Marshall properties to buy the, buy the land? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, granted that, whoever bought the land might, it might not have been publicly known it was for sale. There might've been a deal. Again, that's, that's a different situation, but again, you move into an area, you know that, okay, there's a golf course here now, but that golf course could be gone, right? Like it happens all the time. It, Look at, yeah. going on in Rehoboth right now. Every golf course is being turned into a, a housing development, development yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. I, there's an interesting YouTube channel. I don't know if you guys follow, follow it. It's called my self-reliance. It's about, it's, you ever um, see the, 
Dick Pernacki is the PBS special. He builds a cabin in Alaska. Old, it's an old like yeah. he does shoots with like an eight millimeter camera and all that stuff. I love that. I watch it every time it's on, but PBS, right? Of course, about public TV. <laughs> but uh, but it's a great show. It's just it about guilty pleasure. Stuff like, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, public television. But um, but this guy, uh, my self reliance, it's is the name of the channel. Uh, Sean James, I believe his name is. He also has his uh, second channel, but. Uh, um, he does something similar, right? He's building a cabin and he's Canadian. He's building this cabin out in the, in the wilderness in Canada, blah, blah, blah. But he buys this piece of property and he starts building it and, um, does some of his due diligence before he builds a property. But what do you know, a couple of years into it, the, the province decides to put a road in and there's a, there's a right of way for the, that's, that's what they call crown owned property, which he thought was protected because, and it's never going to get built on because the, the, you know, but they decide to put a road in and it jeopardizes the solitude that he's going for, for his property. Yeah. It's a risk he took. Yeah. It, it turned out bad. So what did he do? He bought another piece of property and he did more due diligence this time and he bought more acreage. So he has more, you know, less. So you've got to keep, if you, if your goal is to be, go live in solitude and that you, you, you yeah. got to know what you're getting yourself into, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, as somebody who, who, I mean, I, I played the course a number of times. I, I think it was a great course. It was, like I said, it was a Donald Ross design course. There's a few of those in the area. Um, uh, Triggs in Providence is one I, off, the, off the top of my head. So it's, it's def, which it's definitely a, a, a sad thing to lose. Uh, but again, like you said, it, this is something that is, if it's done, at arm's length transaction, and if somebody sees a financial need in the community based solely upon that, that's a need in that specific community, not some distortion that I'm going to get a tax break or I'm going to have some inside track because I my lawyer happens to be pushing through the bill or whatever implications that may be. Um, that that's the, the the things that where it goes from being a free market capitalist situation to a. a corporate cronyist situation and that's something that's not libertarian at all and that's yeah. that's the the big difference i think we should be emphasizing yeah well mike your example you know the, the guy took a risk right and he was able to adapt and overcome most of the people that are complaining about stuff like this are seeing it on facebook like oh you know i love that house from the 1800s and you shouldn't be able to take it down on your property and the government should stop you from doing that or oh well um you can't have you can apply that broadly right oh well the government says you can't have the style of window in this type of zone or you need that's why you need a permit for this so we can keep track to protect the people from having more than you know three chickens on their property you mm -hmm. know it's 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 that same baseline principle and and people are applying it in these situations where uh, again it's you know bill said earlier picking winners and losers and 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 it's not like the, the people the people have the opportunity if, if they want to do something about it they could buy the property themselves and and keep it and sustain it and we we see practical applications of that out there so if it's that important like anything else in the market if it's that important for something for a community similar to other episodes we talked about art or anything like that if it's that important people will pay for it yep. right they, they vote with their dollars yeah just to wrap it up i think I, I think it's just an interesting dynamic you've got two sides of this problem right you've got the the, the people that want to keep it green and they're trying to use government in order to keep this the way they want it, either through imminent domain or, or regulations that they want to propose. And then you have the other side of it, the, the property developer that's also using government to do what they want to do with it and the cronyism and the, whatever's going on behind the scenes there, because the government is so involved and get their way, 
there's a common denominator here that's the problem. The yeah. government. It's the government. Hey, if they play both sides, they'll end up on top. Uh, well, right. end up and, into, yeah, exactly. And if the government stopped taxing people, then more people would have leisure, money in their pockets to go spend at a country club and they wouldn't have shut down in the first place and we wouldn't even be having this that's discussion right, right yeah. now. So it that's all comes true. back to taxes. Yeah. Or it would shut down and you develop it and yeah. it, it, the, the community decides, well, we want these shopping and not how the community is going to decide whether those businesses succeed or fail yeah and if it fails then you bulldozer bulldoze it over and create a forest who, well, who you knows know, what that, you want to you know in the same tone that we, we spoke about this before you know this is the problem with the malls the the uh, silver city galleria mall just got shut down i was when i was growing up that was the mall just opened up it was the place where you went christmas shopping it was it and like within the course of my lifetime and i'm only 38 years old that that place has come and gone and it's a empty parking lot right now and i mean look what's going on with the province place mall the same entire situation emerald city emerald city or emerald square it was emerald square square yeah, yeah, the one yeah. Right. like and the thing is is that a lot of these communities they're providing 30-year tax incentives for these these uh developers to come and build these things and it's it's unbelievable because by the time they realize any you know it's a lost leader they'll say that's mm-hmm. promoting business in other places and and we've we i mean geez we won't go down this road uh, because that it's a whole other episode about uh you know stadiums and and uh malls and self-contained uh entertainment complexes hope you guys like soccer yeah exactly <laughs> it, so it, which is an opportunity zone believe it or not <laughs> which man so um yeah uh that's that, that's a, that's a time, that's a, we could get into a whole other yeah. episode with that that discussion which we might so if you if if you have uh, that or anything else you're interested in in hearing about on the Rhode Island Liberty Tour report please uh let us know about it yeah and, and to that point you know definitely connect with us on libertyri.libertyri.com/connect is where you can find all of our links to social media in our in our um uh, contact form and whatnot you can send us an email um you can, um, of course, join us on libertyri.net. Actually, a little news on that. We just did a big update on the website um, that's going to allow us to add some more features to it. So um, we're looking forward to that and getting that figured out over the next couple of weeks. Um, and that just did that this morning. Um, and also subscribe to us on Apple, um, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the major podcatchers. And don't forget to rate us there. Just another little housekeeping point on that. Someone did reach out to us and uh, uh, mentioned that they were having an issue with uh, Google. He was hitting the subscribe button and he sent me a, like a screen capture of it would just automatically not subscribe. The button wasn't taking. I tried it on mine. It did the same thing. And what I ended up doing was I subscribed to just another random podcast and it allowed me to. I was like, well, that's weird. So then I got on my computer and I, I went in, I, I went to the Liberty RI um, uh, or the uh, the Google podcast page on for Liberty RI and I was able to subscribe. So I unsubscribed and I went back on my phone and I was able to subscribe. So I don't know what's going on there, but there might be a technical issue. So I'm just keeping an eye on that one. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, to really stay up to date, uh, like the guys said, right? LibertyRI.com slash connect. Uh, you know, we're on social media, right? So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you guys can pick your poison there. Um, and you can stay up to date on, you know, all the other content that we're putting out, whether it be articles or comments on news stories or, or anything like that. So definitely, definitely uh, uh, stay up to date on there. And we, we talk talk about the podcast. We continue the conversation on there on libertyri.net. And we're able to, again, continue the conversation outside of these podcasts and podcast notifications are on social media. So definitely follow us on there and uh, you'll get the next one for sure. We're just trying to uh, promote the, through the ease the newsletter as well. Email. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. I think awesome. so. Thank, happy to be back. Yeah. Good to be back. <laughs> Good to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. See you next time. Take care. 
You've been listening to the Rhode Island Liberty Report. Be sure to check us out at libertyri.com.